wife. So honor on today. Amen. title on today, Why Jesus, amen, is the prescription. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Why Jesus is the prescription. Hallelujah. Why he's the answer to all our ills, all our hurts, all our pain, all our sickness, all our deformity, all our shortcoming. Amen. Why Jesus is the prescription. And I got to tell y'all, I struggle with this sermon. Amen. I struggle with this sermon. Amen. I kept trying to I kept trying to deviate away from Leviticus, amen. But I, I, I mean, I, 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 I wrote and deleted maybe four times. I kept trying to, to deviate away from it. But God was just like, no, keep digging. He was like, no, keep digging. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I read all this week, amen, just trying to understand what God was trying to, to give me or trying to get me to see, amen. Hallelujah. And I'm still not sure I'm quite through with, with this fourth chapter. I still got to go back. But the little bit that he's given me, I, I, I desire to give it to you today. Amen. Why Jesus is the prescription. Amen. We've been working through the art of worship, trying to learn how to worship God in the spirit of truth, trying to present our all to him. Amen. Trying to be thankful. Amen. Trying to be in fellowship. And in those first three chapters, God just God just was teaching us how he is constantly presenting us with the opportunity to fellowship, to be in communion with him. And when I got to the fourth chapter, it was kind of like more of the same. If you've ever read the book, it's more of the same. You get a bull, you get a goat, you sacrifice them, you spread the blood. But it'll be one or two verses in there that God does something different. And that's the whole point of the chapter. And so with this sermon, God, I, God really wants you to understand why Jesus is the prescription. So if you are, if you're already saved on today, this is this should just be a reaffirmation, a reaffirmation of why you chose Jesus. It should just be a reminder of why Jesus is the answer. And if you're not saved on today, amen, this should be an introduction. This is an invitation to accept Jesus. There's a term in the Bible that's used of Jesus, and it's the lamb that was slain. And when you look it up, most of the time it occurs in one book, the book of Revelation. It's used as a term that's used over and over and over again. And the connection to what I'm preaching is, if you notice that in Leviticus, in the first four chapters, there is always an animal sacrifice. There's always an animal that is presented, that is killed to represent some type of sacrifice, some type of offering, some type of presentation to God. And so when you get the revelation and it begins to call Jesus the lamb that was slain, it's letting us know that he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the prescription for this sin-sick world. Amen. And sometimes I don't think we are grateful enough for 
what God spares us from. And I'm, I'm careful how I'm saying that because I know a lot of us have been through a lot, but I, I also want to ask you a question. What if you were still going through it? What if you were still going through the worst thing you've ever went through in your life? Right? What if you were still going through it? Jesus is the prescription for a sin sick world. And as I go through this sermon, there are going to be two words that I say over and over again. One is commission and the other is omission. There's something in the Bible that talks about sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are sins that you do. It's an action, right? You actually go out and commit a sin. And a sin of omission is when you know to do right, but you fail to act. You take no action. Either way you look at it, God sees it as sin, right? A sin of commission, a commission is a sin we take action to commit. And I need y'all to catch this. When I say we take action to commit it, it can be in thought. You're thinking something wrong. It's a sin of commission. It can be in word. You say something wrong. It's a sin of commission. Or you do something wrong. It's a sin of commission. Sins of commission can be intentional or unintentional. Right? Even if you don't mean to sin and you sin, guess what? It's still a sin. And that's why I say Jesus is, a, is the prescription for a sin-sick world, whether you intend to do it or you didn't intend to do it. Right? We go through life, we go through every day commit sins, whether intentionally or unintentionally. The only answer that we have is Jesus. When Leviticus chapter 4 only deals with unintentional, unintentional sins of commission, that's when you sin without being aware that you are in the wrong. Right? That's knowing that something is wrong, but being Unaware that you're actually committed. What you mean, Pastor? So say, for example, I know it's I know it's wrong to lie, but while I'm filling out my taxes, I click the wrong box. Or I, I submit some information wrong. I wasn't trying to submit the information wrong, but I lied on my taxes. I know it's wrong to lie, and I wasn't trying to do it, but I did it anyway. It was unintentional. But it's still a what? It's still a sin. Hallelujah. That's heavy, Pastor. If, if you don't know Jesus, it would make the situation seem hopeless. Like there's no way possible. You telling me I can be making all these mistakes every day and I'm just walking and seeing every day. It would seem impossible to live up to the standard that God wants from us. But that's what makes Jesus the prescription. Because he can do what we can't do. He can fill in all of the gaps, right? He can, he, can, he can do all of the things that we can't. And so the only thing that God is asking us to do today is to believe in Christ. Lord, I thank you. So in, Le in Leviticus 4, 
These types of violations, these types of unintentional sins were addressed with a certain type of offering. Right? And, and I'm not preaching out of Leviticus to make y'all think we got to do everything that the Old Testament did. The reason I'm preaching out of Leviticus is because I want you to understand the New Testament. Right? But before Jesus, before his once and for all sacrifice, when you committed an unintentional sin, there was a certain type of offering, a purification offering, that you had to give. And I thank God that he puts in place ways for us to address our sin. Right? I thank God for Jesus. I thank God that Jesus is the prescription because now I don't have to go out and kill a sheep when I do, when I commit an unintentional sin. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I can turn, I can repent. Right? I have a Savior that can plead on my behalf to let God know where my heart really stands. Right? So now the opposite of these unintentional sins are the intentional ones. These sins, that's when you know to do right and you still don't do it. Like, God, I know you say it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right? It's Adam and Eve. God say don't do this. They did it anyway. It's, it's David and Bathsheba. David knew that was his wife and he did it anyway. There's no regard for God when you know what's wrong and you do it anyway. According to Numbers 15, verses 30 and 31, these types of sins is what called what God called high-handed. Right? You, like you think you 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 too big for your britches. Right? And for these types of sins, sins when you know to do wrong and you do it anyway, there was no offering for this. Violators were to be totally cut off from God. When I read it to you, I'm reading a good news translation because I want this to be plain. But I got some King James later on that you got to read the King James to make it make sense. But Numbers 15, 30 and 31, it says, But any who sin deliberately, whether they are natives or foreigners, are guilty of treating the Lord with contempt, and they shall be put to death, because they have rejected what the Lord said and have deliberately broken one of his commandments. They are responsible for their own death. Think about this. Think about how heavy this is, that for these type of sins, there is no offering. When you are walking in sin and you don't have a savior, the word is telling you that you are responsible for your own death. God does not want you to die. God does not want you to go to hell. God is trying to save you. God has provided an offering to purify you, to put you in fellowship with him, to, to all he has provided, all these ways that I've been describing through all these sermons to put you back in relationship with him. But if you choose to walk in sin, then you don't, and you also choose not to accept the offering that God has given, there's nothing that they can purge you. It's like that song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of the lamb that was slain. Think about how heavy that is. God didn't put anything in place to get rid of sin that you willingly and knowingly do except for Jesus. I thank God that Jesus is the prescription. 
So I've been reading all these different offers. Leviticus is a hard book to try to make plain. God, I hope I'm doing it justice. But the main difference between all of these different offers that I've been reading you, right, the difference between this offering in the fourth chapter, this purification offering, and the previous three offers, the burnt, the grain, the fellowship, is the sprinkling of blood, right, and the disposal of the remains of what was offered. Chapter 4 addresses these sins in three parts. It starts with the priests. Oh, this part was good to me. I had to read this so many times, y'all. It starts with the priests, right? So if the priest sins, you do A, B, and C. Then it goes to if the whole congregation sins, you do A, B, and C. If a ruler sins, you do A, B, and C. And if it's an ordinary person, you do A, B, and C. And the order is intentional. More responsibility is placed on God's people. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in God's eyes, if the priest sins, if the priest sins, the priest defiles the whole sanctuary, and then nothing can be offered to God on behalf of the people. Y'all understand what I'm saying? That's why when I stand up and say there's a special place in hell for ministers and pastors that leads God people astray, God giving it, he's showing it to me in Leviticus. Right? So if the priest sins, not only does the priest have to sanctify himself, the priest has to sanctify the whole sanctuary. Because y'all got to think, if y'all remember the previous chapters, only the priest could do certain parts of the offering, right? So if the priest is not in order, then can't no offering be made. Can't no relationship, no fellowship, can't no smoke go up when the priest get out of order. Right? So somebody might be saying, ooh, it's a lot of messed up people out here because the church is doing something funny. Right? But Hebrews also tells us that Jesus is the what? He's the high priest. And Jesus ain't never got out of order with the Father. Right? So that's why Jesus is the prescription. So if you're dealing with church hurt, right, you put your trust in the wrong place. Your trust should have been in Jesus from the get-go. Because he's the prescription. Too many churches got priests that's out of order. They have defied a sanctuary and made it where people can't get saved and can't get free. But I thank God that Jesus is the prescription, not Pastor Johnson. So when Pastor Johnson get out of order, I can turn to somebody who never gets out of order with the Father. And get back right. But without Jesus, all is lost. Any church, any congregation without Jesus is lost. Amen. Lord, I thank you. Then it moves to what the congregation does. But the part that got to me was rulers and ordinary people. They were last in line. And I say that that, that order is intentional because the responsibility is placed on God's people. Right? How many times do we blame rulers? We blame the government. We blame our bosses. We blame other people. But God, the, the word tells us that we are a priestly people. Right? We we on the top of the pecking order. Right? 
And so we have a responsibility that when things are out of order, that's why the word tells us to pray for our leaders. Because we are the ones that are supposed to have access to set up smoke, to repair relationships, to be peacemakers, to be a solution in the time of distress. Why? Because we had a prescription. But when you play the blame game, you're doing what Adam and Eve did when they committed the first sin. Eve made me do it. If, well, if my husband had been there, I wouldn't have did this. But when it comes to being clean, right? When it comes to being clean, nobody is responsible for that relationship except you. That's between you and God. So, it's sprinkling of this blood. So if you read the fourth chapter, it says that after the priest did this, they would dip their hand, they would dip their fingertips in it, and they would sprinkle the blood. They had to sprinkle the blood on the outside and on the inside. Right? And this sprinkling of blood represented three things, y'all. It represents the burden of sin. Why so serious? Because I already told you, the high priest unintentionally sinned. And, and please keep that in mind. This is just the remedy for unintentional sin. This is just what the priest had to do when he, when he made a mistake. Right? The sprinkling of the blood represents the burden of sin. Because if the high priest unintentionally sinned, not only did it have a negative consequence for the priest and the community it served, but it also defiled the inner and the outer courts. God's house was defiled. Ministers can affect how people approach God. So they had to sprinkle blood on the outside and the inside. Why the outside? What does the outside represent? The outside represents this, right? I got the pew. When you when a when a minister, when a pastor mess up, you gotta make provisions to clean the space. You gotta make provision to heal the church hurt. You gotta make provisions to set what was wrong right before worship can go forward. That's why so many people, it be fake worship and people can't worship together. So let me put it this way. When the word says where two or three are gathered in my name, sometimes it's so hard for two or three people to be gathered in his name because I don't like you. You hurt me. Right? I can't pray for you. You hurt me. It's the priest's responsibility. It's the pastor's responsibility to preach a word, if nothing else, to preach a word to heal, to say you got to learn how to forgive. You got to learn how to let go. You got to learn how to move forward so that we can get on one accord and we can worship God. Now, that's what the blood on the outside is. But the blood on the inside, right? So the blood on the inside is then you got to take personal responsibility to fix whatever allowed that thing to happen in the first place. The root of it is the inside. The second thing that that blood represents, it represents hope. It represents hope. Our relationship with the Lord can be damaged unintentionally. Right? But when the blood is applied to the outer and the inner court, it repairs the relationship. Right? How many of y'all sitting here and your relationship with the Lord or you think your relationship with the Lord or with 
with church and with other people has been damaged intentionally by other people when you really don't know that's the case. How many of y'all holding stuff against people and you don't know whether it was intentional or unintentional? Right? How many of y'all just think or you feel? You know the Bible tells you that your heart is deceitful. Right? So a lot of things that's why, I'm so, that's why I'm so thankful that I'm not God. That's why I'm thankful that Jesus is the prescription because I don't know everything. Right? That's why the Bible tells us to lean not to our own understanding. Right? Because you don't know everything. But I'm thankful that Jesus is the prescription because even when something is done unintentionally, and that's the focus of this sermon, that when the blood is applied, it can fix the outside circumstances and surroundings, and it also can fix the inside. It can fix our heart. Right? And our relationship with God can be restored. Can be restored when the blood is applied. What you saying, Pastor? The third thing. The third thing about this blood that's applied. It's a gift. I keep reading to y'all about these animals and these blood and this blood because I want you to, I want you to take what I'm saying about these animals and these blood, and I want you to understand what the blood of Jesus does in your life, how it works in your life, how it purifies in your life, how it changes in your life, how it restores in your life. Right? When we read Leviticus 1 through 4, God is explaining a gift. God is explaining a gift. He's explaining a gift to us. And this gift is the process of repentance. It's the ability to say through sacrifice and through worship that God, I want my relationship with you to be restored. With this particular offering, after they had sacrificed the animal, the remains of that old life were to be taken outside the temple and burned. It's a gift. When God takes the old man, like Pastor T and Minister Shirt say today, when God takes that old man, he disposes of it. He says this old person can't even stay around because it's unclean. Mm-hmm. Right? In the purify, in the purification offering, like if y'all remember with some of the other offerings, the priest would keep some of it, right? Or with the fellowship offering, the priest could eat some and the offerer could eat some. Well, with this one, you had to take the remains and you had to get rid of them. Because when you're getting clean, you show you don't save anything. Amen. You don't keep anything. You get rid of everything that's dirty. Amen. And that's what Jesus is trying. That's the process of, that's what happens when you repent in the process of sanctification. God ain't just trying to clean you up halfway. He's trying to clean you up all the way. Why? Because he wants to present you blameless before the Father. He wants to present you without spot and wrinkle before the Father. God is providing all of these rituals for us to get back to him when we unintentionally sin. But when we intentionally sin, there is no ritual. You can't live how you want to live. You can't walk in sin intentionally and think that you can come to church and do some rituals. 
You can't sin intentionally and come to church and think I can do the ritual of baptism. I can pay my tithes and offering. I can do the tenth. I can take communion. I can do all the rituals and that's going to get rid of my sin when you haven't accepted the real prescription, which is Jesus. The only chance that you have if you've committed a sin intentionally, which I believe all of us in this room have, the only chance that you have is Jesus. Right? So think about the woman who was caught in adultery. The law says stone her. The only chance she had was Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus knew she deserved to die. He said, whoever, right, if you ain't sin, throw a stone. Right? She called in her sin. The law says she's supposed to die. Whoever has not sinned, go ahead and do what the law say do. Stone her. Nobody could throw the stone except who? Except Jesus. And he chose not to. So when you have intentionally sinned, the only chance, the only prescription you have for your sin is Jesus. For every sinner in this room, I present to you Psalm 51, and then I'm going to be done. So I'm coming in, JJ. I present to you Psalm 51. I'm going to try not to preach through it. I'm going to just try to read it because I'm going to read 19 verses. But it'll be getting good to me when I'm reading this, this, this psalm is, this is the psalm, this is the prayer that David said after he had done all of that stuff to Bathsheba and, and her husband, right? This is his prayer. This was, this was David's sin of commission. This wasn't accidental. He didn't accidentally fall in the bed with Bathsheba and have sex with her. It was it wasn't it wasn't an accident. It was intentional. What he did to to Uriah was premeditated. The law said you're supposed to die. David knew the law. The only chance he had was repentance. And I, as I read this, I want you to see how the language in what David is saying matches the language of Leviticus. David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, purification offering. Wash me thoroughly, not a little bit, thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, I hand is sin. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David knew what he deserved. He knew what, he knew what judgment was waiting on him. David says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy desire of truth in the inward parts, not just the outer parts. 
not just the outer courts. You can't just try to clean up your circumstances and be like, I just ain't going to go here and I ain't going to go there and I ain't going to watch this. And I, That's all the stuff you do when you first get saved. Right? He said, you desire a truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with his sop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. David is saying, I am broken. Sin will break you. Sin will break you. Sin will destroy you. The only prescription, the only prescription you have for that broken heart, the only prescription you have for that broken spirit is Jesus. David said, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean, that's that purification, a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You can't walk in sin and expect to have the joy of the Lord. Oh my God. Right? And see, some of us don't even understand what joy is. Joy comes from salvation. Nothing else. New car gonna be old car after a couple of months. New house gonna be old house. Not even a spouse. Not even your child. Joy. Because sometimes your, your, your children and your spouse will make you get weary. Joy comes from salvation. The only prescription to fill that hole in your life is Jesus. A man can't do it. A job can't do it. Money can't do it. It's Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Right? 13 verse, then will I teach transgressor thy ways, and sinners shall be converted to thee. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness. David is like, blood is on my hands. I am, a, I am an adulterer. I'm a fornicator. I'm a murderer. I am a liar. How you get out of all of that? If you are all of those things, tell me how your spouse going to get you out of that. Tell me how a million dollars going to get you out of that. It can't do it. Oh God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue, right? shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O oh Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thy desire, watch this now, for thy desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desire not in burnt offerings, right? See, them sacrifices and them burnt offerings, oh, that's good for that intentional stuff, that unintentional stuff. But when you start to get to the stuff you knew you were doing wrong, God don't want no more. I don't want no more burnt. I don't want no more songs you singing in church. Clean up. 
Change, repent, turn. I don't care about your tired money. I don't want no more ritual stuff. David said, if I could do that to get rid of my sin, I would. How many of y'all, if you knew you were going to die because you committed a sin, if you could give $100, you would just, ooh, you would give God that $100 so quick. But the thing is, when you know to do wrong, God don't like, I don't care nothing about that. He said, if I could give you a sacrifice, I would, but you delight us not. God told us in the first chapter what makes a pleasing aroma and a pleasing smell to him is that worship. It's that smoke. It's the spirit of truth. It's you saying, all of me belongs to you. Listen to what David says in the 17th verse. The 17 is, is, is victory. It's the number for victory. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. Lay your pride down. Lay your pride down. Lay your shame down. Lay all of that stuff that the enemy tries to use to make you think that Jesus is not the prescription. Jesus is the prescription for all of that. Jesus didn't come to save people that was already saved. Yeah. Amen. Some of y'all don't think ain't nothing wrong with you. But I done laid it down. I, I, I think I've laid it out. God has laid it out. Yeah. Thought, word, deed. It's too, it's too hard to try to do it by yourself. It ain't no way you're going to make it in by yourself. Some of us don't sin before we walk out of the church today. Thought, word, and deed. Jesus is the only answer. 18th and 19th verse, and I'm done. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build out the walls of Jerusalem. Why is David saying this? Because David is the king. So if David is out of order with God, guess what's going to happen to the nation? Come on now. Yeah. So David realizes, I'm trying to get you to see how this mirrors Leviticus. Not only as the ruler, as the king, as the priest, as the, let's bring it down to us, as the head of your house, as the husband. As the priest of your home. Come on now. As a supervisor on your job. If God has given you charge over anything, you have a responsibility to live holy. You have a responsibility to steward it. You have a responsibility to love it like God would love it. So David knows that my sin not only affects me, it affects everything that God has given me charge over. Right? And so after he says this whole prayer, he gets to the 19th verse and he says, after he's done all of this repentance, he says, then shall I be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole offerings. Y'all see how he went back to it? Then shall there be bullocks upon the offer. He's basically saying, after I repent for real, then when I pay my tithes, it means something. Then when I sing to you, it means something. Then when I give, then when I do all of these rituals, it means something. 
when I have sincerely repented. Pastor Carter used to say, God, I don't hear a sinner's prayer until they are sincere. Y'all can wrestle with that all you want. Right? He doesn't hear. What do you mean by hear? Right? If, if Minister just was talking to me, I can hear what she's saying and not respond, right? Like, I hear you, but I don't hear you. Y'all understand what I'm saying? God can hear you. I need and I want and I hear you. But what's going to move him is your sincerity. That's what's going to move him. And then when you are sincere, everything you everything else you offer goes back to that first chapter. It's voluntary and it's spontaneous and you just give it because you want to give This should, all of this should be the posture of our heart. What I read in your Psalm 51 should be the posture of our heart when we accept Christ. So I close with this, amen. Is there anybody in this house that would love to accept Jesus as the prescription today? Amen. And when I say it's, and when I say accept Jesus as the prescription, I want you to think about what I just read to you, right? Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. I acknowledge my sin. Right? I know what I deserve. You desire truth in the inner parts. Purge me, clean me, wash me. Right? Clean heart, right spirit. Cast me not away. If that's the posture of your heart today and you desire Jesus, now is the time. Now is the time.